Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, And the Arizona men's basketball team took care of business. Really, they've taken care of business since they lost to UCLA. That seems like so long ago now. Arizona went up to Washington, and it wasn't the toughest set of opponents, Washington State and Washington, but still, you know, going to Pullman, going to a Seattle where Arizona has had trouble before. Arizona beat the Cougars 72-60 and then beat the Huskies 92-68 especially impressive performance at Washington. Yeah, I mean, Washington State was, I think, what we thought was the bigger challenge talent-wise. They'd been, you know, getting up somewhere approaching bubble conversation, maybe. (laughs) Been playing pretty Um, well lately, yeah. Playing playing decently well of late. Um, And and Arizona goes and takes care of business there, which has not always happened in Pullman. Uh, Slow starts, but then they turn it on and do what Arizona does. And... And and speaking of slow starts, they go to Seattle, have a slow start, and really uh, turn it on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just run, you know, run through a Washington team that's not particularly good, but it's always a tough place to play. And just winning on the pack in, in the Pac-12 on the road is inherently a challenge. Um, and Washington, Washington State, I think, are uniquely challenging in different ways. Uh, you know, Washington State because Pullman. And Washington, because that that environment, that arena is, you know, small and, and intimate and it can make it a little more of a challenge for a visiting team. But Arizona take, took care of business and maybe get some guys off the schneid a little bit. Yeah. And that's the important thing, because when you look at their schedule, like it's I think this Arizona team has finally reached that point. And maybe it was a admittedly it was probably a few weeks. Ago, we're like, OK, we know they're really good. Let's get to March Madness. Right. Like they're going to be a top three or four seed no matter what. They're trending towards the number one seed, number two at worst. But it's like, okay, just get through all this, get through it healthy, win your games and be ready to go in March, which can make it kind of tough. And 
you know, their recent stretch, you know, they beat UCLA, then they beat USC, then they went on the road and beat ASU. And then to go on for two more road games, Washington State and Washington to win, it shows something, I think, for this team because there were some concerns a couple of weeks ago, especially after that loss to UCLA uh, and Los Angeles, and then they came back and didn't look great in the home win against Arizona. So you're like, okay, well, they're kind of in a rough patch, and that happens. We kind of forget that that happens even to the really good teams. And the last couple of games especially, and we can include the ASU game, and that had like a bad three minutes, and the rest of it was pretty much all Arizona. I don't want to call that a slow start. It was like a slow you know, three, four minutes. That was it with ASU just going bananas. But really, Arizona has played more like they did earlier in the season when they were clearly the better team on every given night with the shots are falling, their size mat- is mattering. Umar Balo continues his outstanding play. Uh, they're looking every bit the team that we thought they were and every bit the team that we know can make a deep run in March. And I think one of those things that showed up in the Washington schools games that shows Arizona when they're at their high point was Ben Matherin, you know, getting back to more effortlessly scoring, getting lots of dunks, hitting outside shots. You know, he had 25 points against Washington, 20 against Washington State. You know, that's that's what we kind of came to to expect from Ben Matherin for the first month or, you know, six weeks of the season when Arizona was just throttling everyone. Mm-hmm. And then when the shots stopped falling, he's one of those guys that it really stopped falling for. And he's the best, you know, maybe individual scoring threat on the roster. But getting him off the schneid in terms of, you know, letting the game come to him a little bit more, letting him see the ball go in, you know, whether it's, you know, fun highlight dunks or some outside threes. Uh, you know, I think he, before he came out, was at the Washington game? He hit a bomb from like 25 <laughs> feet knowing he was getting substitute outed for. Um, so it's, it's really good to see him, uh, you know, maybe pressing a little bit less, um, you know, mentally and emotionally trying to get shots to fall. And may, hopefully that only continues to pay off as Arizona moves through the schedule and into March. Yeah. And you see Ben Mather in stats. He took 12 shots against Washington State, made seven. Took 11 against Washington, made eight. That's super efficient. And I think one thing that we kind of lost track of, even during his, we could say, dry spell when he wasn't putting up these gaudy offensive numbers, he was playing tough defense. He was rebounding. He was passing the ball. And it wasn't like he was jacking up 18 shots a game. It's almost like he got too passive in some ways, which I think is a the sign with this team. Like, they do share the ball. Even in those tough moments, like, they play with each other. He's like, hey, I'll pass the ball here. Like, you need a confident Ben Matherin. He is your most dynamic offensive player who can score from everywhere on the floor. Like, you need him to be confident, and this is a confident Benedict Mather, and that's what you get. And then it trickles down. Like, to Bellis, he's looking healthy, <laughs> which I think back to that injury had him like, oh, no. Like, this is the thing that derails their season, and it looks like it has not, fortunately, because to Bellis being healthy makes such a difference for this team. He's a walking double-double for them, and just that offensive presence down low, because Coloco, as great as he is, he's still not a – given the ball back to the basket, let him go to work type of guy. Tubelis is that type of a player. But then just, like, especially against Washington, like that game, you know, once Arizona got going, it wasn't even close, and it became a dunk fest for them, which was similar to the second half against Arizona State. Like, they can do that to teams. They can, and it's not just, and they don't have to to win. We've seen that. But, man, it's pretty when they do it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, not to not to nitpick either game, but there's there's been a bugaboo or two for this team when they don't reach their potential, and you saw that in both games differently it, against Washington. You know they only shot sixty percent on their free throws. Of course, it doesn't matter when you shoot fifty seven percent from the field as much. Uh, you know, but free throw shooting has been up and down a bit overall. The teams have a good free throw shooting team, but there's some games where you know if Arizona makes their free throws at seventy percent, they don't 
they don't lose. Well, and free throws, that worries you in a tournament setting because sometimes, I mean, you, we've seen it. Arizona wins or loses by two, three, four points. Free throws matter. Yeah, and that, you know, eight missed free throws against Washington doesn't matter as much as, say, uh, you know, a team of USC's caliber or when, you know, if you play a team like Illinois or Tennessee or Gonzaga, every one of those points is going to really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then against Washington State, another kind of bugaboo that's been, you know, facing this team and maybe it's more centered on a player or two specifically the turnovers there's what 18 turnovers that game yeah that's not what you want to see <laughs> um you know to, to your point earlier in the season sometimes arizona will play with its food maybe uh against against mediocre teams I, mean, I think that's kind of been a consistent issue and i think that shows up with turnovers to some extent but you know against washington once the you know once they kind of turned it on, they, you know, they cut on the turnovers. They just missed free throws. But then your field, shooting from the field is very high when you're dunk, 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 dunk. Uh, and that's your <laughs> offense. It's a very good strategy from, a, from an offensive standpoint. It is. It is. Well, even like their assistant turnover ratio on the season is 1.5. That's not bad as a team. Like It just shows like they pass the ball a lot. And, yes, you would love to see them say in the eight, nine turnover range. I know that some of the best T.J. McConnell teams did that. Uh, Sean Miller teams usually did not turn the ball over. If they had 12 in a game, that was like a high mark for them. So certainly, and I guess I haven't looked at Gonzaga's stats, like historically where they're at with turnovers, but I imagine some of this offense, because sometimes it's just trying to make a fun play, you know, a lob pass that goes out of bounds or make that extra pass on the fast break, that fancy pass that, oh, when you get it, it's like, ooh, that's a great play. When it doesn't, you're like, okay, they tried. Like I, and I, it's not all their turnovers. Like they need to be careful with the ball because it's similar to free throws where when you get into a tough tournament game against another good team, that extra possession you gave up, that fast break you gave up, those two points, like it adds up. And you're never going to point to one play and say that was it, but when you're going to look back at the loss and say, oh, man, they made 20 of 32 free throws, like that's a lot of points they left on the border. Oh, they gave up you know, 18 fast break points off turnovers. Like, oh, that's hard to overcome. And Arizona is plenty talented enough to overcome that against most teams. But they won't be talented enough to overcome that against every team, probably. <laughs> like it, it hasn't cost them really yet. That's like they lost to UCLA because they couldn't shoot. They lost to Tennessee because of well, reasons. Like I don't think it was necessarily turnovers or free throws in that one. But that's the type of thing where I worry more about the turnovers than I do about the free throws because like they know how to make free throws. Like I, that's more weird. But turnovers, yeah, they need to be able to. I'd like to see that cut down a little bit. But I do wonder how much of that is just a product of this style of play. But there's still, you know, we're we're recording on February 16th. There's still, uh, you know, it feels like you were very close to March, but with some of the rescheduled games, there's still a number of games for Arizona to figure out some of those details. But we're getting long into the season to figure those out. The good news is for Arizona, here I look at those, uh, you know, Arizona took care of business last week, and some other teams didn't. UCLA right now is in fourth place after losing to USC, and Arizona has, what, a three-and-a-half game lead on every team in the Pac-12? So Yeah, they have a three-game lead, like three games in the loss column on every team in the Pac-12, at least three games. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's opportunities for first-year head coach Tommy Lloyd to even risk losing a game to teach a lesson or two or to try out new new combinations to see what they can kind of fine-tune. Eh, um, I'm not there. I, you know... Like, one, I don't know how many different combinations they can try. And well, two, I, 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 you do want to win the conference if you are playing for a one seed. So, no, I'm not in the tinker with the lineup and see if you can, you know, if someone does something that they absolutely should not do, like if Kirk Carissa goes out and his jacks at 30 foot three for Norton, yes, sit him down. But well, other than that, like, eh. that's, that's who I was specifically thinking of, Adam. Um, or you can, you know, 
try to run the offense increasingly through a Dale and Terry type uh, type of player. Um, but it's you're, if you're sitting in Arizona, you know, if we look back at the beginning of the year, I think they were picked to finish fourth, and we thought that was probably reasonable, but there's, you know, upside to be much better, and I think we've so far seen that. Yeah, I forget where we put the over-under. I was like either 23.5 or 24.5, I think is where we put them maybe, and they should surpass the over on both of those. Well, if it's 23.5, they should surpass that by, the you know. This weekend. weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, with uh, not exactly a uh, – a, a game that has me quaking in my boots upcoming to, uh, tomorrow night. Well, uh, wasn't it Ken Palm showed that uh, I think it was like every game Arizona is going to be favored to win or expected to win. The USC was the least likely, and they're still like 75% or something like that, I think I saw. Which, like, that's crazy. But also, Arizona is, they're the best team in the conference. They're one of the best teams in the country. There's a reason what they're ranked third in the country right now, and they have a case to be ranked number one overall. Uh, they are that good, and I think it's been harder for us to understand that or to think of it because it seems like it happened so fast. You know, if this wasn't a team that was filled with three, you know, three or four five-star recruits, like, oh, they're going to be really good. It's, yeah, they were decent last season, and if everything goes right, they should be pretty, pretty tough this year. It's like, whoa. Like, look at them go. <laughs> so it's hard to believe that. And I don't watch enough of everyone else. I don't watch enough of Kentucky or Auburn or these other programs. So I don't know what flaws they have. Just when I look at Arizona and say, yeah, they struggle in certain areas, I imagine everyone else struggles somewhere too. It's just a matter of whose struggles are going to come back to bite them in the ass come tournament time. Yeah, in, in modern college basketball, there's no such thing as a as a perfect team, right? There's too many one-and-dones. Arizona's reaping the benefits of having a developmental roster that seems to have actually developed, <laughs> including guys like Umar Balu, who transferred in but had barely played at Gonzaga. Um, you know, I think... From where we're sitting as Arizona fans, you know, if you're going to pick a favorite versus the field in March Madness for the national title or even making the Final Four, you should always take the field because I just don't think that that's the way, you know, the way the tournament is and the way college basketball is. No matter, you know, the, even if Gonzaga is the clear number one team, their best chance of being a odds of being a Final Four team are still probably like 25%. What a fun matchup would be Arizona versus Gonzaga. Obviously, it'd be a I guess most likely a Final Four game, oh, but I was, like, was going to say, I look forward to the NCAA putting us as the two seed with Gonzaga. Like, <laughs> <laughs> can you? I I know that was they were supposed to play each other this season. Of course, they got that game rescheduled because time was like I don't want it. They didn't want to play each other, and totally understandable. But it very well could happen in the NCAA tournament. And like, Grant, by the time they would face each other, it'll be late. So it's like you kind of could say I want it to happen because of what it would mean for where Arizona is, but. You're right. Like, I don't look at Arizona and say that's a dominant team. You know, some of the flaws that you mentioned. But then you watch them and you're like, and you look at their records, like, but they are really, really, really damn good. And there's no there's no flaw they can't fix. There's nothing about them that they can't correct. Right? This isn't like they don't have the talent. They're, they're a smaller team or they just can't shoot or they just don't have the depth. Like, they have all that. The things that they're struggling with or they have struggled with, turnovers and free throws. Free throw, neither one of them are consistent issues. They've shown they can shoot free throw as well. They've shown they can play fairly turnover-free basketball. So I think to your point, what you're saying is these last few weeks of the season, it'd be nice if they could find a way to work on those things. But I also wonder at this point in the season, like they are who they are. So it might just be somewhat matchup-based if they have, like, no one's free throw defense is very good. But, like, when it comes to creating turnovers or forcing Arizona to turn over the ball, that might just be who they play. I mean... If only we had an upcoming matchup that could basically be a 
a live practice game against a bottom-dwelling Pac-12 team we could really try to focus on. Hey, we're playing Oregon State this week, Adam. You're talking about that one, but let's take a break and we come back. Let's take a little bit of a look at this upcoming weekend. Arizona basketball hosts Oregon State and Oregon. The Oregon game, hey, college game day is coming, so that's going to be fun. So let's talk about it after the break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back, and Brett, you mentioned it before the break. Arizona should have what is kind of like a live scrimmage against Oregon State. That was a team that went pretty deep in the tournament last year. And it's like they had no we knew they had no business being in the tournament. They wouldn't have been. I think they won the Pac twelve tournament, right? And if they don't win the Pac twelve tournament, they're not in in the NCAA tournament. Credit to Wayne Tinkle for getting them as far as they did, but you knew they didn't have staying power. <laughs> like they did I don't think anyone expected to be this bad, but like that they were gonna fall off, yes, that was expected. Yeah, one and twelve in the Pac twelve and three and twenty overall. Uh you know, if Arizona's approaching their best case scenario i think oregon state is approaching the opposite i think it's fair to say (laughs) good god i mean it's 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 hard to get much worse um you know so i think we can you know we can pretty quickly uh summarize our expectations for that game and saying that'll be a nice practice it it needs to be it needs to be remember when we thought that arizona was going to come back and just roll asu after the ucl game like oh they're gonna be at home they're gonna be rested and they didn't I don't think this was a situation of them overlooking ASU, but you worry that they might overlook Oregon State for these very reasons. Like, we're basically overlooking them. Now, granted, we're not. We can't do that. We're at our computers here. We're not playing on Thursday. But, I mean, I have a thing coming up for AZ Desert Swarm here in the next couple of days, and I really do see well, it will have to be before the Oregon State game because it involves that. But I see this as such a uh, a growth weekend for the Wildcats to show something because if they come out and take care of business against the Beavers, right? Like now that slow start, now that sloppiness, like, yeah, if, if the, if the bench guys, if the walk-ons come in and give up a few points, like the ASU game, I can live with that. If Arizona comes out and just dominates this game, gets out of it early, gets their starters off, off the floor early, then it shows a level of maturity that maybe Arizona has not shown up to this point. Like, I think that's huge. So they need to do to Oregon State what Arizona should do to Oregon State because then you get a chance to, with college game day coming to town, to play a team that you haven't beat in the last seven tries in Oregon. Like, this to me is a big weekend for Arizona for each game for wildly different reasons, but combined, like collectively, if Arizona does what it should or what it can in each of these games, it'll really portend to better things in the future. I think that's I think that's really fair. I also really appreciate that preview of your upcoming desert swarm column you got yeah you know i think i think your point's well taken though because there's a there's a clear opportunity for arizona to show maybe the most complete game against oregon state uh if they are mature and can and can approach it as such uh and if i'm tommy lloyd that's what i'm looking to try to see like let's see what we can do you're not going to you're unlikely to have a lot of unforced or or forced errors against oregon state because you're just better superior talent right Mm -hmm. um so I think that will tell us a little bit of the maturity level, to your point, of the team. And then, you know, Oregon's coming to town who are creeping back up in the Pac-12 standings, even though they're, you know, they've lost a couple games that maybe 
you wouldn't suspect. I think they lost to ASU a few weeks back, that that juggernaut in Tempe. Um, but with game day coming to town, that'll be another, you know, the almost like the inverse of the test of the maturity of this team with ESPN game day coming on campus, uh, you know, a big-name program coming that's had Arizona's number for quite a while. And Dana Altman, you know, whatever you want to say about him, his teams are usually pretty damn well coached. And they and, get better throughout the season. Yeah, and so... You know, if if Arizona's roster that's still relatively young gets distracted by all the the hype and the ESPN stuff going on, you know they're gonna they're gonna get punched in the mouth uh, by Oregon. I think it's safe to say it's gonna be how do they react to that and how do they handle that uh, atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, and I know Kirk Carissa. He did one of the press conferences on uh, Wednesday, and he's like he didn't even know what game day was, and like so that's helpful. Like I wonder how many people. It's not like. I guess it's not like I guess it's I mean, it is the basketball version of the football game day, but of course game day it's it is a sign for Arizona, right? Like this is a big game. If now granted, if Arizona was to lose to Oregon, they're still in control of the Pac-12. <laughs> it's not as important in that regard. Obviously, a win over Oregon basically means Arizona has won the Pac-12 over Oregon. Like I that would I think that would eliminate the Ducks from contention there if Arizona wins. And, you know, all but you know the mathematics. I don't want to do the math. I'm a journalist. I don't math, but. Like it is big game in that regard, but to me it's just a message again. Similar to how Arizona coming out and handling business against Oregon State, to me them coming out and beating the Ducks. I don't expect them to beat the Ducks by twenty, but them coming out and playing well and beating an Oregon team that is going to be confident in Tucson. Like they've won in Tucson the last few years. Like McHale has been a friendly place for the Oregon Ducks for Dana Altman. He knows how to handle that environment with his team. And Oregon's not a bad team, and they are playing some pretty good basketball of late. So Arizona coming out and winning that game, because Arizona is the most talented team in the conference. They are. We know that. Like, they don't lack for anything, but they still have to show it. And Oregon's going to be a tough out for them at the McHale Center. Of course, Arizona's trying to go undefeated at home. Haven't done that in a few years. That'd be nice. Like, this is a big game. Yeah, I mean, I you could contend that this is especially with the increased visibility, this might be the biggest game for the remainder of the regular season. Yeah. USC on the road, you know, it's probably the, the I think you said was the game where they're, the odds are least favoring Arizona. But that's at 9 o'clock uh, mountain time. No one's going to be watching that one anyway. Yeah, nobody's going to be watching it. I will be trying to stay awake. Uh, with As an old man, I'll be wanting to go to bed at normally at 9 o'clock. <laughs> this game is going to be highly visible on the weekend on, you know, national TV, high exposure. You know, if Arizona wants this, this game can help Arizona get themselves established for what the selection committee is going to decide for seating. And that's not just seating, but where they're going to land in terms of which region and who the matchups like they, I think they allegedly don't worry about matchups. That's a lie. <laughs> like, Shut up. You definitely do. Um, Their sadistic sense of humor is how Arizona faced, uh, was in Wisconsin's bracket region, you know, two years in a row. Like that's. Yeah, my my ruined birthday parties back to back years. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it's, I I think a strong case can be made. It's by far the most important game, the remainder of maybe even including the Pac-12 conference tournament, because if Arizona loses a game in there and doesn't win the tournament, does it really matter that much? If a tree falls on the forest and no one's there here, no, it probably doesn't make a sound. Like I don't, I think if Arizona goes to the Pac-12 and wins the whole thing, wins, say they win out, or their only losses at USC in that wonky game that's been kind of shoehorned in, I think Arizona, I mean, they'll be fine tournament-wise. I don't think the Pac-12 tournament will matter too much. Yeah, I agree. So 
I think this this you know the Oregon State game is the game that maybe matters least the rest of the season, and the Oregon game on Saturday is the game that maybe matters most the rest of the season before the March Madness tournament. So it's yeah. gonna be a very interesting dichotomy. It is, it is, because they are interesting, like big, not as big, but still both important. Because obviously, if you lose to Oregon State, oof. <laughs> like, but to me, oh. I wonder because, like, I guess every loss is different, right? Just because Arizona, say Arizona loses to Oregon, like if it's a really good game, and because the losses in McHale Center lately have not been blowouts; they've been really close games. If it was it last season or the year before when Oregon, like they. Arizona took the lead or something, and like Duarte hit a shot like from the corner at the buzzer or something. Like Arizona's played Oregon really tough, but if Arizona really is the best team in the Pac-12 and really has kind of gotten back to the top of the mountaintop, then it doesn't matter that Oregon's good. Like you beat them at home. That's just the way it is. Like better, like good Arizona teams win this game. Mm-hmm. You know the best Arizona teams win this game. Oregon never used to be such a problem. <laughs> like even when they started getting better, Arizona still would beat Oregon. I remember the Pac-12 tournaments. However many years ago, when Arizona just throttled them, like and those are some pretty. It's like was which it wasn't a young guy, like young on uh, Oregon. I forget which one, like Jason or someone young, and Arizona just destroyed them. Like yeah. the best Arizona teams did that, and Oregon's good. I mean, Oregon's been to a Final Four, <laughs> like like they've been there. You know, like they've had a chance to win a national championship. I think they were in the national championship game, right, against North Carolina. The one in uh, Phoenix or in Glendale. I think it was Oregon, North Carolina. But my point is they've gone to a place where Arizona has not over the last 10 years. So right now we're saying Arizona's the best team in the Pac-12, and I have no doubt they are. But it's like just because you have the best record in the Pac-12 doesn't mean that the perception is you are the best team. You beat Oregon, like you win these next two games, well, then you've beaten everyone that's on your schedule at least once this season. You know, like no one can yep. say that they beat you. So it, it's big. Yeah, and the team that's, as you pointed out, has had Arizona's number for a while, including at McHale. And I believe Arizona's still undefeated this season at McHale, and it'd be yep. nice to hold that true. Um, you know, I don't think this Oregon team is as good as teams years past in no. terms of sheer talent. But to your point also earlier, you know, Oregon and Dana, all my coach teams tend to get better and better as the year goes along. So it's going to be a real test. Yeah, yeah. But of course, it's a different system offensively for Arizona. It's a different Wildcats team that has played and lost to Oregon over the last few years. So that should be a fun matchup. That game is on Saturday. It is at 8 o'clock Arizona time. <laughs> uh, but I guess we got a nice blessing because the Oregon State game is at 5.30 p.m. like Arizona time. So one early, one late, but at least a late game is a Saturday followed by a day off on Sunday. So, Brett, let's take one more break and we come back. Let's do a mailbag. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. We're back. One more segment to go, and we're going to leave that up to you, the Wildcat Radio 2.0 listeners. We asked you the question on our Twitter account, Wildcat, at Wildcat Radio. Is he, uh, just, what do you got for us? So, Brett, you have all that stuff pulled up. What do the people want to know? So the people, starting with Nick Howard, a.k.a. at BD97, uh, want to know, why didn't Ben win Player of the Week this week? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. 
I think Arizona nominated him this week, right? It was Tubelis the week before, and Tubelis won. I imagine the Pac-12 just wants to give him to not Arizona guys every week, um, but that would be my best guess. I I think that's probably right. <laughs> Pac-12 is not in a, known for uh, doing Arizona a lot of favors in general, kind of like the NCAA. But uh, you know, I think maybe maybe the the level of competition that Ben did it against had some had some influence yeah it went to drew peterson from usc who average i'm reading this here because i don't follow usc average 19 and a half points seven and a half rebounds six assists and four and a half blocks to lead the usc to a pair of victories to be fair that's pretty good well, and i believe <laughs> one of those was and one of his big games was against ucla uh at usc this past week so yeah so i mean it's... I, I think it i think that goes to my argument that it's who the opponent was yeah well in, in this case i imagine all things being equal, they'd rather give it to someone who's not a Wildcat this week just because they could. Like, you can make a case for Drew Peterson. You can, you know? So I, I think they're just going to say, hey, yeah, he had a really good week. Ben had a really good week. Let's give it to the guy who, you know, isn't a Wildcat. Yeah. That's all. I wouldn't take too much from it, though. But that does lead to the question, does Arizona have a Pac-12 Player of the Year candidate? And I know <laughs> they like the Pac-12 had tweeted out, like, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, they're like, who's it going to be? And they left Tubelis off. And then people were like, um, Lazulus? Or, or they left they left Ben off. It was one of the two they left off. They were like, hey, what? So now I think the last thing they did, like, they had Matherin and Tubelis both on there. Like, is it going to be one of these guys? It's like, <laughs> probably. Our the Pac-12 reality show producers are really bad at teasing things. I did like, though, they had their uh, Pac-12 on Twitter, Play of the Week, and it was three different Arizona plays. Like, is it a Tubelis dunk? Is it a Ben Matherin dunk? Or is it a Balo block? And I'm like, ha now they're starting to get it. Sidebar, Omar Balo blocks are becoming one of my favorite things ever, and especially when he does the little Motumbo finger wag. Yeah, I'm a fan. But uh, moving, moving on, Adam, we have a trio of questions uh, submitted by one of our avid listeners and followers, Mr. Gary L. Freed, at GL Freed. What's up, Gary? So first, Gary asks, the very... Uh, now, ethereal question that has boggled mankind for, for you know, eternity. Why do Pac-12 referees suck? <laughs> Gary, I think if, if we knew the answer to that question, we could be rich. Or we'd be even more upset because, like, why can't you be better? I, I imagine, and this is just me thinking out loud, Brett and Gary, that it's just hard to be a referee in basketball. And the very best are probably one in the NBA and then two just they get spread thin. Like there are some decent ones in the Pac twelve, but to have a full crew of good officials, that's probably hard. Well and you know, I think it varies sport to sport, but a lot of referees, you know, there's not necessarily unique referees for the Pac twelve. They get shared across conferences with COVID games being rescheduled referees have a travel schedule and they can't necessarily be in all places at all times and they can have personal lives that they weren't necessarily planning on a monday night game at nine o'clock uh you know in mountain time and maybe they are already scheduled on something else and there's a there's a whole slew of things but i also just like to go back to i mostly blame larry scott because <laughs> he's terrible and i think there's five to ten years of digging a hole out but i will say like it's different like say in football and in basketball and baseball you usually don't you usually don't compare complain about umpires unless they call you know an arizona guy out at home in the most important game of the college world series final 
when they really aren't out at home. Like that's a problem. Good hypothetical example. Yeah, no, that that yeah, just in case I went to everyone, then you'd be upset. But football, we see, and in football, it's even more obvious when they're bad than in basketball. Because basketball, there's a lot of contact most plays. You know, is it a charge? Is it a block? Like that's really t- that's a tough call. More often than not, like it's very rarely obvious. I think either way, and then there's contact most plays. So I do think if they pack twelve rest if the college are allowed to give continuation, that would be good. But other than that, like I don't think it's going to get much better, just because I do think it's an exceptionally difficult sport to officiate. Yeah, I think Pac-12 basketball officials this season haven't necessarily just been blatantly biased, but they've been too whistle heavy, which is a different way of labeling them as sucking. Yeah. But I think even I think I saw somewhere maybe it was Brian Peterson or somebody on Twitter was like, the, uh, was it the SEC or ACC, I think, had more fouls per game than Pac-12 games on average this season. But it was a pretty good drop-off after that. And we're, we're watching Arizona games. We're not watching you know, Stanford versus Colorado to see how their officials are doing. Like, yeah. Well, and yeah, and we're not watching a lot of these other conference games as much. And they're, but the, you, you see that show up in, in March, and some of it's the, the style of play. Like some East Coast basketball is a little more a little more wrestling and a little less uh, free flow of motion. And then those blocker charge calls that you brought up, like those are, you know, it's, a, it's just a little bit subtle, different style and how they call it is going to impact things. The good thing for Arizona is I think they have the talent to be able to adjust as long as, as long as it's, you know, balanced and fair, they can adjust. Well, and they're the style of team too, where they should in theory, draw a lot of fouls. Like I don't think Arizona gets too many gift fouls from what I've seen. Like we've watched games when Arizona gets gift, like, yeah, that's a bad call that helped Arizona. I like to think we're pretty fair when we watch the games and I don't think of too many. There's always some calls that have helped them, but they have big guys who can draw fouls. They have wings and guards who are quick and athletic who can draw fouls. But I also don't think this is a team that needs to rely on getting 30 free throws at a game to win. Like they get there. It seems like they're getting 20 to 30 most games just because of their style of play. But, you know, whereas some of the other teams over the last 10 years or so needed to get to the free throw line to produce offense, this team doesn't, but it helps. Yeah, and, and to your point of Arizona has guys with size, I think that maybe can get back to the heart of Gary's questions, a uh, question of why do they suck. Sometimes if you're, have, you're the team with all the size and six, maybe even seven-star recruit Christian Coloco and, you know, Balo Omar, thick with two C's, Balo, they're not going to get a lot of favors when they're trying to shoot and they're getting maybe mauled down low because they are the big guy on the court. I've experienced this personally, obviously at a very, very different level of competition, but there's there's a certain nature of like a little guy going against Umar Balo is just they're gonna he's not gonna get as many ticky tack even if there's a lot of call contact that uh, that the inverse would be called more frequently. Yeah, it's like when Shaq used to play. Like he was a terrible free throw shooter. And he shot a lot of free throws. If they called the fouls accurately, he would have shot three times as many free throws. But because he's just huge and guys bounce off him, they're like they don't blow a whistle. Arizona probably is a victim of that to some degree. Plus. The, the NBA refs knew that nobody wants to see Shaq shoot free throws. Oh, least of but, all the rim. Yeah. But move, moving on to, to Gary's next question. Uh, who do you think will get the number one and number two seeds, and which teams do you not want to face until the last minute possible? <laughs> oh, man. I, I'd be lying if I said I think I know who are the top seeds. Like, I'd have to look at a bracketology to get an idea, because right now, I mean, I know, I know Auburn's been good. I know Kentucky's been pretty good. You know, I think Arizona Gonzaga, they're right there. Like I I have a rougher time with that one just because I don't watch as many, admittedly. I don't. But 
in terms of who I don't want Arizona to see. I don't want to see them to see anybody, but I also don't fear anybody. And I, I say that in that the tournament's stressful. It's scary, <laughs> especially when you have high expectations for your team. <laughs> like Every game is a chance for them to disappoint us, whereas if they win, great. Now they just made it to the next round with another chance to disappoint us. And I don't mean that as like I think they will. Arizona's really damn good. Arizona could win the national championship. They have the ability to do so. But, you know, matchup-wise, I don't think there's anyone that they don't match up well with. Like, who's going to have more athletes than they do? No one. Who's going to have more size than Arizona has? No one. Like, I don't see where Arizona is lacking. If anything, I think Arizona is solid everywhere and probably has advantages in most positions over everyone they'll play. Yeah, I think that's. I think your points are well taken. I think there are still some teams that I have a little bit more concern about. Um, to gar- answer Gary's question, I'm looking at like Ken Palm and looking at the top 11, 12 teams. I think some of the ones seeds are pretty much locked up with Arizona, Gonzaga. Uh, I got to imagine Auburn has all but locked that up unless they collapse. And then it's you know kind of take your pick of Kentucky or Baylor with the other being a two seed. You know, Arizona's lost to Tennessee. They might squeeze into a two seed. Purdue's twenty two and four. They could be up there as a two seed. Kansas is up there twenty one and four. Um, you know, the teams that most concern me, the obvious one being Gonzaga, because they're, you know, it's it's the Spider Man meme where they're pointing <laughs> at each other. They've been right? doing it longer, but people always wondered, what if Gonzaga had Arizona's athletes? <laughs> we may know. Um the the teams that most after that that most concern me, uh or I would just like to put off facing as long as possible. Um Baylor I think is actually a team that has a lot of athletes and a really good defensive team. We know what they did to um, Gonzaga last year. Yeah, I, you know, they and you know also I think Auburn kind of is a similar situation where they're, you know, way up there in the adjusted defensive rankings. I think a really, really elite athlete with elite defense could give Arizona some challenges. Um, and I think maybe, you know, so I think Baylor and Auburn outside of Gonzaga would be the, my biggest concern, um, even more than Kentucky. Even though I think Kentucky has the athletes, I'm not sure they're as as, as cohesive and well-coached uh, at this point because they're j- always, they're Kentucky, they're always full of young guys as opposed to, you know, Baylor has a point guard that we, we liked uh, <laughs> not too long ago. Um, and some veteran guys. Uh, but those those would be the ones that I'm most concerned about. What worries me more is Arizona's inexperience than any individual opponent. And that's obviously something that they play a tournament game. Now they've experienced in the tournament. I don't know. But Umar Abalo is the only player on the team who's played in a tournament game. And we know he didn't do much for Gonzaga last season. So, you know, maybe it's a case where what Arizona doesn't know, like it doesn't know enough to be nervous. It doesn't know enough to get stressed in those situations. I know enough to be stressed. And that's what I come back to, like, they are really good. We have, we know that. We have to acknowledge that. We understand that. But that just means a whole separate set of pressures in a month and a half, you know, in four weeks, like three weeks or whatever it's going to be. Like, we get to deal with that again. But there's not a single team that's not Gonzaga. I mean, a Gonzaga match would be fun because it is what Arizona is running, only Arizona has probably better athletes in some positions. <laughs> like, Arizona's really good. You know, Kentucky has talent, and they'll have some size. Baylor is Baylor. Auburn has been playing well. You know, Duke is Duke. You know, Tennessee's already beaten Arizona this season, but not like it was because they were the better team necessarily. Just they were at home. It would not be uh, Knoxville. So, I don't know. I don't want them to play anyone. I'd love for them to just, you know, get forfeits all the way through to a championship. I'd take that. But assuming they have to play some teams, I do believe they are capable of beating anyone they play. Adam rooting for Arizona basketball 2022 
national champions by default. Wins a win. <laughs> well, speaking of wins, uh, our last question from from Gary uh, was one that he sent last week that we were both we both failed to bring up, and he asked it before we requested the mailbag time. But we will answer it here because also it's maybe my favorite question. Uh, will and Gary asks, will the sum of the total losses of the men's and women's basketball teams exceed the number of losses of the football team this coming year? Are we including tournament games if they lose in the tournament, or are we just including regular season? Are we are we really trying to parse this down? Back yes, like because um, right now there's six combined. Assuming, and I'm just going to say because it's hard to win a national championship, that both Arizona men's and women's are not going to win the national championship. All right, so now we have eight losses between the two of them. I think that, I think that makes the the answer easier. Like um, that, yes, the the football team will. Okay. Okay. Now, if you say so, I'm just trying to understand the question so we can give a as fair an answer as possible. So, really, what you're trying to reframe this question is, Adam, will Arizona football uh, be six and six and call it a push because <laughs> the men's and women's basketball team will remain undefeated through the remainder of the regular season Pac-12 tournaments and March Madness tournaments, which is obviously going to happen. Sure. Dual national titles. Or will they lose at least two more to end probably sometime in March? Um, I think that's what you're asking or trying to parse out. If you say so. You know, I think, uh, I think, unfortunately for the basketball programs, but it's more, you know, said with a wink, I think that the losses combined is going to be more than, uh, the, than the Arizona football team. But it's going to be good things still. Yeah, it's... Good things for basketball and still a massive improvement for Arizona football almost no matter what. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I mean, the overall picture, like, it's kind of funny because you put it that way because you could legitimately ask that question. But they're in a pretty good spot, all three of those programs. You know, women's team, of course, they lost to ASU over the weekend and they came back and beat ASU. The loss, I was watching that on, on Friday. I'm like, ooh, I did not like that. But, you know, it happens. Like, Arizona was down, came back, rallied to take the lead, but then there was a questionable charging call late in that one, and it happens. And then Arizona kind of clunky down at McHale Center, but pulled away from the Sun Devils late in that one to kind of get back on track there. But nah, it's <laughs> Arizona for basketball teams has two teams that are very, very good. Top 10 teams, teams that could make a case to make a Final Four and win a national championship. Like That's such high expectations, but they've earned them which is going to make this next month or so very interesting, very exciting, and very stressful. Of course, then we turn it over to football. Spring ball's coming up, and that's just, that's just fun. Well, and, I mean, you're missing the obvious answer, Adam, that uh, all three of the teams, men's and women's basketball and the U of A football team, will have zero losses the rest of 2022 because Arizona sports – is on the upswing and everything's going to go great. And we will go to a Rose bowl in 2023 and win national titles in both men's and women's basketball. Tell me I'm wrong. I was going to let you finish the show. Like, I can't top that. <laughs> like, like, like <laughs> you're probably not right, but I can't tell you you're wrong. It's I'm right in my heart, Adam. That's that what really counts. <laughs> that's exactly what counts. Um, so to, to Gary and to who was the other one, Brett? 
That was uh, Nick, Nick Howard. Howard. Thank you for your thank you for your questions for this week's mailbag. Of course, if you have any questions for us, feel free to send them to the Twitter handle at Wildcat Radio AZ. We'll try to remember to get to them. Sorry about that, Gary. We did miss your question last week. We got to you this week, so that's not too bad, right? It's only a week late. That's fine. What is time these days anyway? But, yeah, Arizona basketball got some big games coming up this weekend. Football, we're getting closer and closer to spring ball. That's going to be a lot of fun. And, of course, baseball and softball are getting into full swing here. So a lot of stuff going on with Arizona athletics and a lot of good things for the Arizona Wildcats athletics program. So, We'll talk about whatever's happening next week. Thank you for listening. And until next week, remember to bear down. Bear down.